So by now we've reached Module 4, Chapter 6 of the Monopoly Planner called Tribe Originated Content. Jason and I discuss the best way to generate valuable content for a customer, and that is, ask me a question. All types of content you can create as a response to those questions and how to maximize its utility for the best possible bang for your buck. This is Digital Bacon FM. Yes, it's 10 o'clock. Mr. Stephen Barnes joining us on the line from Hong Kong, continuing our conversation on monopolies. Good morning, sir. Hello, how are you doing? Not too bad. How is that? A little gong? Happy, delighted to see... You would... Hang on, let it finish. Sort of that Zen Buddhist thing, right? Go off you go. Well, no, it's, you were doing so well with the original one. I was about to compliment you to the hilt, but you know, now you've um, brought me down to a different sort of emotional response level to with um... that gong. So I'm not quite sure where I go from here. <laughs> All right. Well, you sent me an email this morning saying today we are going to be talking about tribe originated content. Well, indeed. And so uh, as we carry on with our uh, weekly conversations about how to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested, um, last week we talked about strategic generosity. And this week, as you say, we're going to talk about tribe-originated content. Now, what do you think I mean, Mr. Black, based on our conversations this far, uh, when I talk about tribe-originated content? Without having already had a look at the bits and pieces that are in that file, I would say that you're relying on the people who enjoy your content to help you create new content based on questions or suggestions that they have. Go to the top of the class, young man. Woohoo! I'm not just a good body and a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so essentially, yeah, you know, the natural dynamic of uh, the connection economy when you have an expertise that you can share with people who need to access that expertise is to generate a community of interest. Mm. Uh, and uh, Seth Golding uh, couches that community of interest as a tribe. Um, and because the niche that you're operating in ostensibly can be documented from the totality of your knowledge, you've got the opportunity to reach into your tribe uh, and see them as a source of new material that can go on to continue to augment your content proposition. Mm. And so that, in a very long-winded roundabout way, is uh, what you've just said, uh, but I've couched it as tribe-originated content. Mm. So, you know, if you look at the Hong Kong Giza, Giza website, you'll see uh, in our professional services business, we um, make it possible for our tribe, that's essentially anybody, as I say, that you know finds their way onto our website because they're looking for the information, uh, looking, information looking for information on the stuff that we know about. Um, if they can't get at first blush the uh, answers to the questions from you know the material that we've got there, they can ask me a question. Um, and so that gives me a complete new source on an ongoing basis of, of material uh, against um, new facts and circumstances that I couldn't even conjure up in my wildest uh, imagination uh, from an example creation perspective. 
so uh, that gives me the ongoing ability to uh, continue to apply my knowledge and know-how from the foundation content in, mm. in, in, in a set of, set of facts and circumstances in real life and at the moment. Now, so now, a very, very just, powerful way to just, get content. Mm-hmm. Just to, to pop in a minute, if we go back to what, what the original idea of the foundation content was, you sat down, had a look at what your business was and said, what is any possible question that anybody has an interest in this particular space and what would the answers to those questions be? Is that correct? Well, that's phase two. Phase one was to sit down and then say, okay, within this total body of, of, of activity that I've got you know, a good knowledge of how it all works, and within that total body of activity, how can I... I manifest my knowledge and know-how of uh, what you need to do in order to uh, work with this knowledge and know-how to bring about the answer to the problem that you've got. And the answer to the question that they have is to how do I get this visa approved? So the first question they need to ask is, well, you know, what's a visa? And in that case, what is what type of visa do I need if there's more than one type? Mm. Uh, and then now I've identified what type of visa I need. We know what the what are the requirements of me, what's expected of me, both from a documentation perspective and from a, a sort of a personal qualities perspective. And anyway, so because I know the Hong Kong immigration niche so well, I could go through that critical assessment of of the you know the 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 reasons why people need to access this material and what sort of decision processes they're going through in order to make sense of this material, knowing that you know they're on this website because they're being asked for the first time really in their lives uh, to think about a discipline that you know ordinarily they'd have no you know need to know anything about. So uh, by sort of doing that critical thinking and understanding that's how people want to sort of work with this, with the material that's in my head, I then basically broke it down into something called the Hong Kong Visa Handbook. Mm. Um, And I laid down foundation content, which was um, essentially a do-it-yourself guide uh, in 10 separate parts to every visa type, uh, stepping you through all the processes and giving you all the resources and teaching you why things are expected of you at that particular part in the process. So that they can end up essentially uh, in the most efficient way possible with all the thinking sort of removed out of it, uh, then to have a fully uh, actionable Hong Kong employment visa application uh, assembled because they've gone through, you know, uh, a sort of a process that's the distillation of 25 years worth of knowledge in this space so that we can make it as easy for them to emulate that process, given that they're only going to do it, you know, probably on one time in their occasion, at one, on one occasion in their, in their lives. So, so that resulted in what, what we call the Hong Kong Visa Handbook, and that was the foundation content. And then we realized that um, that's one way into our material, um, uh, manifesting it in that fashion. But another way into our material would, would be for me to um, produce a, a whole variety of other different sort of answers to questions, the top 100 questions, if you will, that anybody ever asks about the niche over and above what's included in the foundation content. And out of that exercise of identifying those top 100 questions, I produce the next um, next level of material, uh, some, in, some in a video format, some in an infographic format, some in just a mere text format. Um, but just mixed it up a little bit. And out of that, I then uh, got um, uh, more opportunities to add um, content into the mix by uh, 
realizing that we have to sort of tap into our tribe and brings us right back to where we are now in, in today's discussion about tribe originated content. So that's where I realized that uh, once I'd sort of run out of ideas for uh, questions that people might ordinarily ask about the material, then the best source of future questions would be to come from the tribe itself. Mm. So um, by having a section on our website that allowed us to um, invite people to ask us questions, then we solicit those questions that come into me into my inbox. Um, I'll then take my iPhone and I'll use the uh, voice recorder function on my iPhone to uh, basically dictate an answer to that question. Uh, and then I send it off to my editorial guys who will then turn it into a blog post and it then gets put on uh, you know, on, on the website. And uh, we change the facts and the circumstances uh, and details to protect the ongoing the anonymity yeah. of the person who's asking the questions, of course. Sure. But, you know, we're producing a piece of content that, that that's generally sort of, you know, useful uh, more widely and uh, and that continues to build on the content mix. So, yeah, so to, to get back to it, Foundation content, that was the, the original Hong Kong News handbook, and that's how, how I started off getting the material manifested. And then it was a case of, well, what other ways would you want to go into this material, um, coming at it from a different sort of approach, and then and then organizing the channels of, or the funnels of those, uh, the, all those funnels into the material. So that so after a while, you build up a, 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 a total way to access the material, and with your tribe-originated content, able to keep it augmented so that it's always of the air and it's always um, uh, making it easy for people to you know, find what they're looking for when they land on your site. Mm. Okay. And you, you say that you believe there's, there's unlimited content opportunities because people ask new questions or the same questions in different ways? Yeah, indeed. And, you know, uh, over time, uh, the laws or the rules or the regulations or the way that things happen or technology import on situations or or otherwise all come to mean that you know it's it's evolving it's ever changing and because you know life is evolving and uh, certainly moving so fast these days it's uh, it, 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 it doesn't take too long before there's something new in a process and wherever there's something new in a process then you've got a whole array of new material that you need to be documenting mm. so i found that uh making the uh, service available where you answer people's questions it just is the the, the, the fountain spring of all future stuff mm. and how much time does um, it take take for you out of your weekly sort of busy life to actually concentrate on on your web questions and how much important what sort of a percentage would you say it was as an important part of the business itself Okay, so I really should sort of answer that question standing in the shoes that I had of, say, five years ago when I was principally doing it all myself. Mm. So when I was, uh, let's say I had five years ago, let's say I had 300 pieces of content on the website by then, knowing that, you know, we're, we're wanting to head to 1,000. That's the big the big sort of number that you need to have mm. to have an ongoing sustainable business. So when we had perhaps, you know, let's say a couple hundred pieces of content and I knew that I needed to continue to publish on an ongoing basis and uh, provide a source of material uh, in order to, to, to feed the beast on an ongoing basis. That whole um, uh, dynamic meant that uh, irrespective of what was happening in the professional practice as our revenues were starting to 
grow a little bit as clients were coming in. Um, I, 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 I kept that as my core mission, that each day I would produce one piece of content. Okay. Um, and I would uh, you know, make sure that anyone who's asking me questions, in any event, we're going to get answers to the questions, even if they didn't get a podcast, because you know you still want to help them answer the questions and solve the problems, even if the material's not good enough for podcasts. So I would say um, I was spending probably an hour a day making sure that my uh, website was continuously updated as we built the content platform. Mm. Because by the time you get sort of to you know a year, year and a half into it, you've got a, a pattern that you've got down pat. Uh, and a lot of it is copy and paste, uh, a little bit of sort of, you know, maneuvering like changing an MP4 into an MP3 so that it can run from your WordPress website, whereas MP4 is a recording format for the iPhone. So you, I don't think you'd have a problem if you use Android, but just mm. part of that exercise of posting, you know, an answer to a question in that fashion involved um, at one stage for me, at least, the, tran- the translation of the file from from MP4 to MP3. Uh, anyway, that whole exercise about about an hour a day, and okay. uh, for me that was the best investment because the return on investment that I get now from you know that hour of the day that I was doing five years ago continuously day after day after day after day uh, is is manifest. It's just you know the um, the gift that uh, that keeps on giving. Mm. Uh, so realistically, an hour a day, I would say in practical terms, if you're just getting getting going and you're getting into a room, early on it'll take a little bit longer because you've got to become adept at the processes that you, you need to do. They're not difficult, but it's a process you need to follow and there's a few tricks you need to learn. But once you've learned them, um, you know, you're sailing and uh, once you become adept, you know, you don't lose it. It's like, uh, it's like learning how to ride a bike. Mm. Now, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, when, when technology changes or the rules at immigration change, it gives you um, an opportunity to, to rework questions or create content. Now, with technology, I've been going online and having a look at certain things that I want to purchase. And something that I've noticed creeping into websites more and more often, banking, all of them, they have a live question app. So how may we help you? And it's instantaneous. And I don't know if this is because we are becoming lazier and we don't want to go and hunt for the answers to the questions we have, or if it's just uh, an added feature that keeps you off people's website by answering answering the questions much, much quicker. Would you ever consider having somebody in your office who is running live stream answer questions? Well, it's a great, uh, great, great question to ask because, in actual fact, as we're getting ready to launch our uh, corporate immigration proposition, Hong Kong Visa Sherpa, mm. um, we uh, have just decided that during uh, nine to six uh, office hours, there will be a uh, Your Questions Answered hotline as part of the Hong Kong Visa Sherpa proposition so that mm. anyone who has got a question, they're using the website, uh, the call in office hours, and it's a corporate play anyway, so they're only going to be working in office hours. With a call during office hours uh, on that number, uh, one click away, you will get a uh, Hong Kong immigration expert at the end of the phone and will answer whatever question you've got. Okay, but I mean more in a, in a type. Further. Okay, so you, you're going away from type to voice. So it's basically somebody answering the telephone. I think it's in, in this instance, yes, because somebody answering the telephone is the most efficient way of actually 
helping the person who's got the problem. And by the same token, it's the most effective way for us to start to create a meaningful relationship with that person. Mm. If you do it anonymously and uh, anonymously via a chat box, well, to a lesser or greater degree, you know, it's going to take you some time to get the information that you need. Mm. And by the time you've sort of finished with it, you don't feel like you've had a relationship with somebody that, you know, you can reach out to easily next time you've got a simple problem or a sure. similar problem. You just reduced it to a, to, to a chat experience and mm. that's completely, you know, inane as far as I'm concerned. But well, having said that. It depends. It depends what the need out of these, you know, the the the, the interactions are. Mm. So chats can be perfect, absolutely perfect way uh, to uh, to communicate with people. I'll tell you how 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 my interaction went. I wanted to purchase something from the states. The item is listed on Amazon, but Amazon don't fulfill the order because they don't ship to South Africa. So I got hold of the manufacturer themselves, and I went to their website. A little chat box came up, and it said, what question would you like us to answer? I said, do you ship directly to South Africa? And it said, uh, one of our agents will respond shortly. And then it gave me a, a FAQ on um, a variety of shipping options, etc. And then it asked me to enter my uh, email address because obviously they've now added me to a database of some sort. And thereafter, the agent came along and said, absolutely, we ship, uh, ship to South Africa. Is there anything else I can help you with? And there the, the, the relationship was established because I said, well, I don't really know your product. Which one do you recommend and in what configuration? And he answered all of those things and then followed up uh, the next day with the email to see if I had any more questions, which I thought was a very, very good experience. They also then directed me to the purchase platform and I didn't complete the order, and they followed up the next day to say, we noticed that you didn't complete the order. We much prefer it when people complete the order. Here's a discount coupon for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all standard um, uh, ways of uh, conducting e-commerce via the web. So mm. uh, that's that, 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 that routine is very well understood, and the magic is in you know excellent execution. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, I, uh, I, I encourage the adoption of all of those uh, efficiency initiatives into your business because mm. you're going to um, – I wouldn't build my entire business around a tactical thing like that, but I'd make damn sure that all of that power and all of that, you know, capability was properly harnessed mm. and deployed because it's very powerful. And where, where it falls down completely is HSBC or I don't know if other banks have them. They have the same chat thing. You go online because you're expecting to have an answer uh, to a question you have. And then they say, we can't answer any personal questions. Can we direct you to a telephone number? And you think, why bloody bother? Because you've got a classic example, certainly of a bank, right? And a notice-issuing bank at that and the role they play in the monetary, society, monetary system. Mm. But you've got a classic example of an industrial economy behemoth that uh, is trying to play in the connection economy space and thinks that the connection, the connection economy is the industrial economy with smartphones uh, and really doesn't have a clue as to you know, how the, the, the world is shifting around them. Um, and so you end up with pathetic customer service experiences like that. Mm. Um, you know, in all honesty, the best thing that's happened to Hong Kong banking customer service in the last five years was the initiative that launched three or four months ago that essentially meant that the banks would do 
uh, same day deposits or in fact instantaneous um, transfers, uh, even when it was intra intra bank, sorry, inter bank yeah. uh, in Hong Kong. Standard Chartered to three to HSBC used to take three days yes, for tra- transfers to complete. And um, internet banking, that's outrageous when all you're doing is transferring information from one database to another. Sure. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so in, in recent months, uh, they've introduced that initiative. They still, they still charge you for the transfer. It's not as much free, mm. but at least in that way, at least you've got ready access to your funds that uh, have uh, typically left the uh, sender's account three for, days earlier. For me, where that was the biggest problem was when it was time to do the payroll. And you would try and encourage your your staff, if you've got 60, 70 staff, to get them all on the same bank as HSBC you. because bank exists, yeah. exactly. And when they bank with all of these other banks, because they've generally been with HSBC, HSBC or another bank and have run foul of the bank, then they open up another account. And then they end up waiting three or four days. And it's it's not really fair, actually. Well, it's true. In, 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 in my organization, I pay the bank charges for uh, you know, the kids, the kids, I mean, you know, my colleagues that, sure. um, that, work, that work for the practice um, because, you know, they've got a certain expectation that the, 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 the quantum that they get by way of their compensation is, is, is that's is the, the number that it's their account. Sure. Of course. Yeah. And it costs so, you. So I end up. Well, yeah, I pay I pay transfer charges at my end and transfer charges at their end. So, yep. you know, I'm having to pay them extra money. And you're right, it's not a lot of money, but when you've got large numbers, it adds up, right? Absolutely. So, mm. uh, yeah, but anyway, no, I haven't um, I haven't encouraged everybody to to bank with HSBC, who are our bankers, um, because uh, well, I should do, but I haven't. Um, but there's obviously efficiency to be had there. But perhaps when we get to 400 people, it'll make perfect sense. But mm. when we've got 27, I think we'll survive. Sure. All right. Uh, right. So we're still talking about tribe-originated content, mm. and uh, uh, one of the sort of additional sort of things that you can do when you uh, have asked your tribe to. Uh, ask you questions is that when you podcast your answer um, you can then subsequently transcribe that podcast uh, and you can couch the question a slightly different way and produce another piece of content that's essentially got the uh, same answer uh, reflected in the voice podcast piece of content but also now reflected in a text piece of content in another um uh, in another uh, post that you've got, which allows you basically to have two bites of the cherry um, as regards, you know, a particular question that you might have answered. So that's, in a sense, a way that you can go on over time to sort of double the size of your content pool mm. by subsequently uh, transcribing those podcasts and then sometime later, as I say, slightly changing the question, but uh, uh, knowing that the answer in the podcast remains the same, uh, the transcription will then answer that that, that that question of the same ilk, if you will. And that's another piece of content that's, uh, that, again, works to sort of fill the beads in the taxonomy jar, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you get a question from Michael P. from Central and you create a podcast around him, I know that you'll do a video and you'll say, I received a great question from Michael P. about this, that, and the other. When Michael P. sends you that question and you create the podcast, do you put it on the platform? I know you do, but do you also then reply to him and say, thanks very much for the question. Here's the podcast we created. 
based on your question and then take it to that really personal that personal response yeah so the, indeed yeah so we've got all of that automated we use a program called aweber and aweber is a, a monthly subscription that gives you the ability to collect email addresses and to automate replies and let people know what's going on so um yeah we get them to subscribe as part of the sign up process when they've asked the question we get the we get their email address and then they uh, are added to our um our list that gets all the, the daily updates so if their uh, answer is scheduled two pod two two posts down the down the road they'll get um they'll get the the first post that they'll get won't be the answer to their question but sure. the next post that they'll get will be the answer to the question okay. and then they can unsubscribe from there if they don't want to continue seeing it so so yeah we've accommodated all of that okay cool yeah right so 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 yeah so really by reaching out to your tribe you've essentially got unlimited content and uh uh, the other thing that you've got is in addition to answering questions and help solve problems, you can actually ask your tribe to give you ideas for content. You know, you want to look to um, make your material uh, available through the prism of a different approach, right? Um, and so by asking your tribe to suggest, you know, ideas for content, you then get to uh, continue to, to, to publish and, uh, and, uh, and add value to your content platform in that fashion. Okay. Now you're creating a Sherpa, which is a business orientated visa solution, uh, which is slightly different from the Visa Giza, which is a one-on-one -on -one personal visa uh, program. Now, would you use the same methodology or are you going to be different when it comes to uh, client engagement and also creating content? Right. So in terms of how we communicate with the client, we've configured the communication modality around the use of our content platform uh, to actually uh, give uh, the, the information that we know people will need or access to answers to questions that they might have at, at the particular junctions when using the, the site to um do their own visa applications mm. so we've we've kind of we've, we've anticipated that that communicating and messaging mm. um but from a, a a content development perspective hong kong visa sherpa is designed very differently from the individual immigration services sure. space which is where, where visa geezer and handbook sit so for sherpa what we've done is we've identified that there's basically four people in an in a in, in a company that have an interest in immigration for foreigners that are working for them. That's the CFO, the HR director, the staffer, that's the guy who has to do the paperwork, and then the applicants and the family themselves. Mm. And so uh, if you can understand that in a business you've got those four audiences or consumers of content, then what you can do is, is then go to the next level and say, right, so we know which the four parties are interested in. Now, what, what's their first level of interest? Well, the first level of interest after... After that is they want to know sort of what visa type applies to them in order to work in Hong Kong. And because in a company there's a finite number of scenarios that will present themselves, um, which would determine what visa type you apply for, what we've done is we've, we've figured out those seven different scenarios and then we've um, produced content for 
uh, that you'd expect to encounter uh, at each level as you sort of go deeper into your knowledge and understanding of, 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 of how you go about sort of solving this problem. So, for example, you go into a section where you choose your visa scenario and there's a short video that explains the scenario. And then once you've identified this, the correct scenario that applies to you, you then go and you get a, a whiteboard animation overview of what the visa types are all about so you can understand, you know, what, what sort of, pool you're playing in mm. and then your next step, step after that is okay right you know you want to actually go ahead and start to use this website to, 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 to manage a case for yourself so you press a big button called start a case and then what's presented to you is is, is essentially um, the ability to understand that there's four, uh, four, four, four or five key areas that you you encounter as a um, as an applicant for a visa. So firstly, you have to assess your application. Uh, then you need to prepare your application. Then you need to submit your application. Then you need to manage your application. And then you have to undertake the approval formalities once you get approved. So you've got those, those discrete steps that you go through. And as you go through those various steps, you have access to the material that you need to have access to at that juncture to be able to understand what's going on and to make informed decisions about how you're going to apply this newfound knowledge to mm. your um, uh, determination to actually apply for a visa on the back of it. And then at each step in the process, all the sort of resources that you need, such as atypical scenarios or worksheets or custom-made checklists or uh, templates that you're going to use to write up your case and all of those resources are all available to you just at the time that you need them as you work your way through that process. So, so the Hong Kong Visa Sherpa website is configured specifically for all the actors in a corporate environment, knowing that in the main, when you're making an application for any kind of employment visa for a company that's got more than 100 employees, the immigration department's default posture is to approve the applications rather than refuse them um, because they're companies of size and they're already usually making quite a substantial contribution to the economy of Hong Kong. And so the immigration department don't in the main want to second guess hiring decisions of foreigners as long as the foreigners are duly qualified to get the visa. If they're not qualified to get the visa, they won't get the visa. Mm. But as I said, the idea is to is to say yes rather than no. That, in a sense, de-risks um, the, um, the 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 uh, burden, if you will, of taking on inside the company the the administrative work associated with preparing an application. Because when you understand how corporate decision making works in immigration, essentially what they're buying, the company is buying from a visa consultant is the ability to blame the visa consultant if something goes wrong. Sure. Right. And so because we understand that that's the underlying dynamic as to how the marketplace or the thinking or the psychology works, you we can you know produce a complete service proposition such that the administration burden can be kept inside the company so you're not paying high high-priced consultants for doing administration on, on cases. What you can do, as we've configured in our enterprise with Sherpa, is we give the ability for the companies to, the company staffer to do the paperwork, then send that paperwork to us. Um, because it's been prepared in accordance with our formula, we can then review that very quickly. We can say that it's going to get approved or not. And if it does, if we say it's going to get approved, we sign off on it and say, no, that's fine. That's going to get approved. If it doesn't get approved, it's our fault. Mm. 
So there what we've done is we've disaggregated and aggregated value because normally what you do with an immigration consultant, if you don't have a Sherpa type proposition, is that you forge a relationship with an immigration consultant or a company that you've, you know, you're comfortable with. Uh, and then you start a, a dialogue each time a new case opportunity presents itself. And then through that process, you end up getting instructions or otherwise. Uh, and then you take on the complete burden of the case, uh, 100% outsourced. Uh, that's how that normal process works. But under the Hong Kong visa Sherpa model, what we're saying is, no, you can actually take on board internal to your company uh, the administration and the paperwork, but we'll take the responsibility because we'll that's what we'll ultimately get paid for. So we maintain our margins and 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 and, uh, and gives us capacity to do better uh, and more with better a well proper remunerated work rather than um, uh, actually doing work that uh, is administrative in nature and, and could best be. Um, put into the hands of the clients and deliver a new value to them rather than us carrying the um, the cam. Mm. Fantastic. Mr. Barnes, we've just gone past the bottom of the hour. Are we good for next Friday, sir? Uh, yes, with a caveat. I might be on an aeroplane because I'm going to Western Australia. I'm going home for a long weekend to see Phil Collins on Monday the 29th, is it? 6th, 28th. I think the expression is you, Jamie Bastard, but you have a very, very great weekend and we shall catch up hopefully next week sometime. Take, take me home because I can't remember. You're lucky that you're a brilliant lawyer, sir. Digital Bacon FM. Join us in the next podcast to find out more ways to best utilize your content to be truly useful to your tribe.